Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, um, last week I shared that um, that talk on uh, letting your heart break. As it just seemed to be um, in the air uh, after those tragedies in San Bernardino and uh, and Colorado. Um, and it's amazing um, how how many conversations I I had last week that uh, where people brought that up. Just the the sadness that they were carrying. It's kind of interesting when there's a a collective shared experience that um, that is touching everybody in a in whatever way, either in a joyful way or a, a, a sorrowful way. Uh, there's something about going through it together um, that, um, well, that connects us. And so it was, um, it felt uh, important and right and uh, authentic to share, as I said last week, for those who weren't here, um, I wasn't offering any solutions, any answers, uh, just uh, offering us the space to feel our um, whatever we were feeling, but more than not, collective sadness. And there's something about going through that together and uh, holding each other's hands, so to speak. Um, There are studies that show that when you when somebody holds your hand your your threshold for pain for physical and emotional pain uh becomes much higher and so um as i shared it and we 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 talked about it uh it felt it felt important and good but i also was a little concerned that uh i was it was a bit of a depressing talk, and uh, um, thought, well, that's just what's happening, but um, it was real. Um, so I was thinking, well, what, what could I talk about this week? And um, while it's important and essential to let yourself feel the sadness or the grief, uh, I also think it's important not to wallow in it so that you don't have the energy to um, to open up to um, to the ten thousand joys as well as the ten thousand sorrows uh, and a few days ago i um was at a gathering uh, of friends and um the evening, uh, one of the people there the evening was uh, my teaching colleague, uh, Deborah Chamberlain-Taylor, who, um, if you don't know, if you haven't been to Spirit Rock, uh, is really a, a, 
a wonderful, bright, bright light uh, much of the time. Uh, We have a real, we share a real um, heart and devotional um, approach to, uh, to practice. And she had just come back from being with Ramdas in Hawaii. I've mentioned here that I've I've gone to see Ramdas a few times in the last few years, and he he was he has been one of my main inspirations and main uh, teachers, mentors. And she was recently back and had this glow about her. You know, isn't it fun when you meet somebody who's got a glow about them and but it's not like I've got the glow and you don't, but just, here, here's some for you. Um, and I just started to get happy being around her, and she was sharing her experience and just how, uh, how profound it was and how open her heart was. And uh, just as we kept on talking, I was just finding myself getting happier again. So well, that's cool, and we were. The conversation. There were a few of us around. Turned to these difficulties and the the tragedies and all, and the and there we. But there we were feeling some um, aliveness and heart connection. And uh, I said, "This is this is what I've been needing, and what uh, what feels right to just." mainline goodness right from you. Thank you. And then we talked about this whole idea of mainlining goodness. When you forget, when you get um, more than just processing the sadness, when you just kind of get stuck in that place. It's amazing how the mind can turn anywhere and be so shaped and influenced. One exercise I, I have done at, uh, when I've taught the beginning um, class series is a simple one of just dropping in a couple of different words and noticing its effect. So I want to do that with you right now. Just close your eyes for a moment. And um, I'll say a word first word, and uh, notice your experience. Trouble. Trouble. Notice how it feels inside. Any images, associations. Trouble. Notice how it feels in the body and in the mind, in the heart. Okay, now take a nice breath. I won't leave you here. Don't worry. Erase the board in the mind. I'll say another word. Kindness. Kindness. Notice what goes on inside, how it feels in the body and in the mind and the heart, maybe any associations you have, kindness. 
Notice any difference? And if, if you think about it, those are just two words, complete non-sequiturs, not related to anything. And there might be, you might notice a difference inside. Just imagine what happens when you keep replaying certain thoughts over and over and its effect on your system. And it is interesting how um, uh, there can be a, a contagiousness of, of um, sadness or fear or um, um, states of suffering that uh, if it's in the collective consciousness um, might be sometimes hard to break. So... I wanted to uh, just see about playing around with shifting things a little bit. Because just like sadness or grief can be contagious, uh, so can joy and so can love. This is from Mayor Baba, a, a wonderful, very wise being lived in the 20th century, spent most of his life um, in silence, but uh, a, a very profound teacher for many people. He says, love has to spring spontaneously from within. It is in no way amenable to any form of inner or outer force. Love and coercion can never go together But while love cannot be forced upon anyone, it can be awakened through love itself. Love is essentially self-communicative. Those who do not have it catch it from those who have it. True love is unconquerable and irresistible. It goes on gathering power and spreading itself until eventually it transforms everyone it touches. So that's the, the good news about contagious states, particularly the heart filled with love. That It's almost like it's waiting inside for us to... Uh, to be reminded and then comes out. Mm -hmm. Laughter is the same way. Have you noticed that? When I was was very young, um, when I was a kid, we had in our uh, uh, record collection, my parents had this record, the laughing record, they called it. It was called. It was a 78, if you are old enough to remember, 78, 78 RPMs. It's going around and around. And you put the needle on, and there was five or six minutes of just insane laughter. You know? Even I can hear a little chuckle right in the, in the group. I didn't even say anything funny, just the thought of listening to laughter. And it was impossible to listen to it without starting to laugh. 
how does that work? You know, now they have laughter yoga. Anybody have ever do ever done laughter yoga? It's it works, doesn't it? It seems like it's the you know silliest thing in the world. This guy in India who discovered that laughter can be contagious, and he has teachings and workshops, and you're there with a bunch of people laughing, and after a while, you can't help but laugh. It's contagious. Isn't it good that that laughter and love is contagious, along with those other qualities? And when I was a kid, another childhood memory, um, there was this uh, cartoon, and I just pulled it up. Uh, it's amazing how everything is available, you know, from that, that's ever been invented or uh, created. Uh, I showed it to Jane, my wife. It was this cartoon that you can pull up called The Sunshine Makers. Uh, and it was... It was um, made by Borden, Borden's, like Borden's milk, because it was really a subliminal kind of um, advertising for how good milk is. Uh, but there were these, there were the, these two uh, counteracting communities. There were the, um, what did they call them? I don't even know if they had a name, but there were these this whole community of depressing people who, these cartoon characters, who went around saying, I don't want to be happy. I want to be sad. I don't want to be happy. I want to be sad. And they had this other little slogan, life is just a bowl of lemons. Like that. So there were these guys, right? <clears throat> and then there were the sunshine makers who are, you know, as syrupy as you could imagine, you know, we are the sunshine makers, la, 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 right? I don't want to be happy. I want to be sad. We are the sunshine. And what the sunshine makers do is they're on a quest to proselytize, to convert everybody over to the light. It's a lot like Yellow Submarine, the Blue Meanies, you know, one of the all-time great movies ever, right? Uh, And what they do, they get these bottles of milk, or these bottles of sunshine. They just happen to look like milk bottles, right? And they'd they'd shoot them like a slingshot and go over to the, the land of... The, the depressives, and the milk bottle would, or the sunshine bottle would hit somebody, and they'd start to be happy. And their, their cohorts would kind of beat them down, saying, stop being happy, stop it. But after a while, it was overwhelming. The sunshine won, right? That was one of the most influential Dharma teachings in my that's actually had a big influence in setting my life towards the light one can say towards the sunshine mm-hmm. 
And uh, as most of you know, I, I've taught this course, Awakening Joy, for um, for a number of years. Uh, and I taught it, uh, I got into writing about it and, and, and teaching it because for a while I lost my joy. And then I... I saw, oh, wow, I have to, you have to um, sometimes practice remembering all the goodness and the joy. Uh, and uh, it seems to work if you can do practices that have to do with, as the Buddha suggested, cultivating wholesome states and when they've arisen to learn how to maintain and increase wholesome states, um, that when you practice it, it starts to be the place that you're, that you're living from. Not all the time, obviously, but, but, um, but it starts to shift your default setting. Mm-hmm. So here we are in the midst of you know some some really uh, troubling times, sad times uh, with fear and hatred and all kinds of uh, bizarre things being said in our public discourse, uh, and it takes even a bit more. Uh, focus and remember uh, uh, reminders to uh, remember all the good. This is uh, from Pema Chodron. She says, <clears throat> When I was about six years old, I received an essential teaching from an old woman sitting in the sun. I was walking by her house one day, feeling lonely, unloved, and mad, kicking anything I could find. Laughing, she said to me, little girl, don't you go letting life harden your heart. Right there, I received this pith instruction, we can let the circumstances of our lives harden us so that we become increasingly resentful and afraid, or we can let them soften us and make us kinder and more open to what scares us. We always have this choice. Don't let life harden your heart. Neem Karoli Baba, Ramdas's guru, who is such an inspiration to me, uh, had this instruction. He said, um, the best form to worship God is every form, to see everything as an expression of God. And I took that to, um, to keep on looking for the good, wherever, in whatever way I could find it. Even the, even the insanity, even the craziness, 
even mm, the unfathomable, the unbearable. To see that there's goodness underneath. <clears throat> that to me, it makes sense to see that um, since when the mind isn't obscured, when the mind isn't confused, that the underlying reality is that of peace and freedom. This is what the Buddha said. See through the confusion, see through the identification, see through the obscurations, and what's there all along, your true nature will shine through, and it is profound peace, it is goodness, it is expressed as love and compassion. It's just that we get confused and miss what's here all along. In, uh, in this book, this is a book by Dacher Keltner, called Born to be Good. Um, and Dacher Keltner is the head of the Greater Good Science Center here at UC Berkeley. Um, Born to be Good, the Science of a Meaningful Life. Dacher comes and uh, sometimes is, is a speaker at, at the Joy Course. Uh, and it's a, it's a, a, a more scientific um, work where he talks about the fact that our basic nature is goodness. And he refutes what most people uh, think of as Darwin's thesis that, oh, survival of the fittest and uh, only the strong survive and only the, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog world. He, said, he says, that's not what Darwin said at all, actually. Yeah, there is natural selection, but actually the ones who survive uh, are the ones who learn how to cooperate that there are um, there's so much goodness in us, um, and that now neuroscience is pointing this out as well. Just like um, in that uh, that study, if you put somebody in an fMRI machine and they're not, uh, they don't have physical stress or mental stress what they exhibit, their brain expresses uh, its conscious, calm, creative, caring, and content. That's your natural state. And he talks about Confucius, who came up with this... um, this concept of Jen, J-E-N, central to the teachings of Confucius, um, 
he was, oh, it's a complex mixture of kindness, humanity, and respect that transpires between people, alienated by the violence, the materialism, and the hierarchical religion of his 6th and 5th century BC China. <clears throat> Sound familiar? Um, Confucius taught a new way of finding the, the meaningful life through the cultivation of Jen. A person of Jen, Confucius observes, wishing to establish his own character also establishes the character of others. A person of Jen brings the good things of others to completion and does not bring the bad things of others to completion. Jen is felt in that deeply satisfying moment when you bring out the goodness in others. What a great way to go through life. Hmm? And this is very much, I think, what we are talking about when we take refuge in the Buddha. When we said, uh, Buddhang saranangachami, the the chanting, Dhammang saranangachami, Three times, Buddhang Saranangachami, I take refuge in the Buddha. It's taking refuge in that place right inside of you that is aligned with the truth, is aligned with goodness, that feels joy at expressing our caring. <clears throat> I was reading um, uh, a study that said uh, World War II, oh no, it was in Born to be Good. It said uh, in World War II there was a study done where they, um, this guy uh, interviewed um, hundreds of soldiers um, at, towards the end of the war. And the, the study came out in a book that he published in 1947 and he said that um, he found that only on the average 15% of the soldiers he interviewed uh, fired on their enemies during combat. And when that study came out, what the military did was saying, oh, that's not so good. We have to change the way we train. Uh, and so they had a whole new uh, training uh, tactics where people, where the soldiers weren't firing and thinking of shooting people, but were firing at targets uh, and learning to not think. And during... Vietnam, and since the number now is about 90%, because the training has gotten so sophisticated, where that natural impulse to not harm another one is overridden, and there's tremendous consequences around uh, PTSD because of that, because it's overriding that natural caring and connection. Mm -hmm. 
What's that? The study was done by... Um, it's right in here. Survival of the kindness. Hold on, I'll get it. It was done by SLA Slam Marshall, a U.S. Army lieutenant colonel, and the book that came out was Men Against Fire, The Problem of Battle Command. It's amazing. The mind can be shaped in any way. The mind can be shaped and turn into a terrorist. The mind can be shaped and turn into a bodhisattva. It's all about conditioning. That's why the Buddha said to keep the company of the wise and avoid the company of the foolish because we take on the values of the company that we keep. Mm. In the teaching on seven factors of enlightenment, various factors, mindfulness and joy and investigation and calm and concentration and equanimity, etc. The one common factor for all of the seven factors that develops them is to be around somebody who has that quality and to avoid people that have the opposite. Makes sense, doesn't it? You want to develop equanimity? Be around people who have equanimity. You want to develop joy? Be around people who are joyful, etc. But it is also true that the dark brings out the light. That's the other side. So it's not that all is lost because there's just uh, dark forces. That it actually sets in motion the opposite as perhaps you've been noticing lately in our news one of the presidential candidates just saying some insane, completely insane things. You know, how is that happening? And yet there is the the outrage and the backlash and the kind of galvanizing of people who say, No, this this will not do. So it's both that are true. The dark brings out the light, and the light can bring out the dark. So there's these different forces at play. This is um, from the mother, Sri Aurobindo's mother, uh, consort, the mother, 
She was known as the mother. She says, um, you carry in yourself all the obstacles necessary to make your realization perfect. If you discover a very black hole, a thick shadow, you can be sure that there is somewhere you, in you a great light. It is up to you to know how to use the one to realize the other. Mm. Also want to mention um, that goodness doesn't mean just everything is okay. And uh, we can be very meek and passive. Uh, That goodness can have a real courage and strength and force to it. And I was interested to see the Dalai Lama talk about this, about compassionate anger. It has its place too. This is the Dalai Lama saying, when faced with economic or any other kind of injustice, it is totally wrong for a religious person to remain indifferent. Religious people must struggle to solve these problems Here, the issue is how to deal with anger. There are two types of anger. One type arises out of compassion. That kind of anger is useful. Anger that is motivated by compassion or a desire to correct social injustice and does not seek to harm another is a good anger that is worth having. For example, a good parent out of concern for a child's behavior may use harsh words. He may be angry, but there's no trace of any desire to hurt the child. Japanese temples often enshrine the fierce manifestation of the Buddhist deity uh, Akala. And he opens his mouth to make a face like an angry deity. Um, But Akala has that fierce expression not out of hatred or a desire to harm sentient beings, but out of concern for them to correct their mistakes, like a parent's desire to correct a child's mistakes. Kind of like uh, Kali as well. You know, Kali who's got uh, a a sword and a a necklace of skulls and and, uh, blood dripping from fangs and she's there to cut through all the confusion in a very fierce way and turn into Durga, Kali becoming the beautiful Durga. Um, Anger brings energy, more determination, more forceful action to correct injustice. And of course it should be accompanied by compassion. The deep motivation is compassion, but sometimes it takes anger as the means to accomplish ends. The question is a person's state of mind or the motivation that causes the action. When we act, that act arises out of a cause that already exists in us. If we act when our inner motivation is hatred towards another person, then that hatred expressed as anger will lead to destructive action. This is negative action. 
But if we act out of consideration of the other person, if we're motivated by affection and sympathy, then we can act out of anger because we're concerned with that person's well-being. And then he's asked, what about anger towards social injustice? Does it last for a very long time until the social injustice goes away? And His Holiness says, anger towards social injustice will remain until the goal is achieved. It has to remain. The anger is directed toward the social injustice along with the struggle to correct it. So the anger should be maintained until the goal is achieved. It is necessary to stop social injustice and wrongful destructive actions. Mm. Interesting. It's a very tricky thing, though, because uh, anger, after a while, uh, is not sustainable. And so I would just mm, tweak that a bit and say the anger can motivate us, but to get in touch with the caring underneath is a much more sustainable um, form of expressing our outrage. But it's interesting that it's, it's important to see that there's a place for outrage. <clears throat> and uh, just to bring some, uh, some bright thoughts on the horizon, um, the Paris climate change talks, let's hope something good comes from them, but I was listening to uh, a report from a friend who's there in Paris. He's, he's with One Earth Sangha and is also the climate um, uh, director for World Wildlife Climate Change Program. And uh, he was reporting this last week right from the talks, and he's with all the environmental groups, and he says, he said, you know, there's a lot of really good energy here. There's a lot of people who are really trying to do something worthwhile. We don't know how it's going to go yet, but uh, he was very impressed with uh, the goodwill that not just the environmental groups, but the, the leaders were, were showing in their commitment to make something good happen. And I also wanted to share with you something that was just sent to me in the uh, in the mail by uh, by a friend from England. This is the Mindful Nation in the UK. And this is a report by the Mindfulness All-Party Parliamentary Group. A friend of mine, and the, the fellow who sent it, he's a Dharma teacher, Chris Cullen, who has taught mindfulness to... Um, 115 members of parliament who've been practicing together for the last few years. And this is their report. I'll just read a little bit of it. In recent years, there's been an explosion of interest in mindfulness with widespread media coverage, best-selling books, and remarkable uptake of online resources. 
Mindfulness means paying attention to what's happening in the present moment in the mind, body, and external environment with an attitude of curiosity and kindness. There has been a huge increase in academic research on the subject with more than 500 peer-reviewed scientific journal papers now published every year. The Mindfulness All-Party Parliamentary Group was impressed by the levels of both popular and scientific interest and launched an inquiry to consider the potential relevance of mindfulness to a range of urgent policy challenges facing government. Many members of this group have been further impressed by the potential of mindfulness after personally experiencing the benefits on on courses held in Westminster. And the, the report looks at mindfulness in health, mindfulness in education, mindfulness in wor- at work, mindfulness in the criminal system, and makes a number of recommendations. Recommend, we recommend that mindfulness-based cognitive therapy should be commissioned in the National Health Service so that it's available to 580,000 adults each year who will be at risk of recurrent depression. We recommend that there should be a training program to train 100 uh, mindfulness-based cognitive teachers a year for the next five years to supply a total of 1,200 teachers. We recommend the Department of Education should designate as a first step three teaching schools to pioneer mindfulness teaching, coordinate and develop innovation, test models of uh, replicability, etc. And it goes on and on, all the things that members of parliament are recommending around mindfulness. Isn't that cool? Send that to Washington, yeah, yeah. And even in Washington, actually, uh, there is uh, there's a whole group of congressmen who do meditate, led by this guy Tim Ryan, who wrote the mind, wrote Mindful Nation, uh, little by little. But uh, yeah, as usual, we're not the forefront on consciousness in the developing world. But um, there is this mindfulness explosion; it's happening. So. Um, we can take heart. Uh, a number of years ago, a book came out, Blessed Unrest by Paul Hawken, where he took a look and wanted to see how many, um, how many organizations were doing good in the world for the, uh, for the planet and for um, uh, you know, um, uh, compassionate causes. And he discovered that there were, this is in 2007, between one and two million organizations that were created to do good in the world. You don't really see that much when you see some crazy guy saying we should keep out all Muslims. It's like, what is this world coming to? No, this world has so much goodness and we have to remember it. So, um, 
Yeah. So I'd like to, uh, just for a few moments, um, ask us to go inside for a moment. And just reflect on what helps connect you or remind you of the goodness in life. There might be a few things, but let's just stay connected. What helps you access the goodness in life? What or who when the container is uh, is small and you're perhaps forgetting what reminds you. And you might even just, uh, if you connect with something, uh, have an image of, of yourself remembering and delighting and appreciating And now, as I did last week, just invite you, if you feel uh, up to it, to turn to one or two people and just hear from them and maybe share within yourself what reminds us of the goodness in life. Just for the next, oh, five or seven minutes or so, and then we'll come back as a group. Sometimes reminding each other is one of the best ways to go. Okay, start finishing up. Okay, so um, it was nice to see you you had something to talk about. Uh, And it was also interesting to see like the energy um, building. So um, we have a few minutes, maybe uh, some some people, thanks Andrew, could could share what, uh, what wakes them up to the goodness around them. I know you had things to say. <laughs> Don't be shy. Yeah, Linda. Well, my husband and I went to a um, funeral service on Monday, mm-hmm. and um, we didn't really know what to expect. Um, we went out of support of um, our friend whose husband died, and... Um, we, we didn't know her husband very well. Um, but 
um, it turned out to be a jazz funeral, like mm. they do in New Orleans, with um, a fabulous marching band. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting to me because, I mean, I certainly felt that energy and joy that mm-hmm. that kind of music um, brings, but I also felt really moved. Mm-hmm. I mean, really... Um, there, there was definitely um, just something really spiritual and and moving to hear this joyous, mm. energetic. I mm. mean, mm-hmm. um, music. Beautiful. Um, yeah. yeah, music definitely can change your head and change your heart. Thanks. What else? Yeah, right, right over there. Yeah, Eunice. I I think this this community and the, the 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 sangha and the practicing community you know is such a good thing. Mm. I always feel good when I go to Spirit Rock or come here or do our improv on Saturday or or just be with spiritual people who are really concerned about doing good in the world. Mm. It's such a great blessing mm. that we have, and, and I'm incredibly grateful mm. uh, that it's available to us here in the Bay Area. We have so many resources to be good and to grow, and mm. uh, that is not something that's available in many other places. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. So like-minded friendship, definitely. Anything else? Jim? I just love um, Rick Hansen's um, taking in the good or you know, have the positive experience and enhance it by just paying attention to it. Often good, good experiences just sort of happen and they're gone. <laughs> and just by paying attention, it sort of grows and seeps into other parts of the body and seeps into other parts of the mind and other parts of the day. Mm-hmm. Great. Which that, and that is the essence of of the Awakening Joy course, too. That, that's the maintaining and increasing the wholesome state. When it's here, don't miss it. To really just take a few moments, and you don't have to take a big, do a big show. Just feel what it feels like in your body. It's one thing to know, oh, feeling pretty good right now. It's a whole other level to know, oh, this is what it feels like to feel good. And that extra little bit of awareness and taking it in, that's, that's how the neural pathways get, get deepened. Great. Any one last before we go? Not named. Going once. Twice. Andrew bouncing around, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I'm glad that, that uh, it seemed like everybody had something to, to say to, uh, to a partner. And uh, just talking about it and hearing and witnessing, uh, it um, stimulates that. So I hope this week, particularly as we go into the holiday season, whatever that means for you, which can be a joyful time or a, a, a challenging time, 
just tune into the fact that there is at least a lot of stimulation that is mm, encouraging you to connect with your uh, your well-being. So uh, it's free. Like I say, it can be like a free joyride if you um, if you let it touch you. So we can uh, just close with a short loving kindness. And as we reflect, just reflecting on that Buddha right inside of you that loves goodness, that delights in expressing caring and feeling connection. that likes to laugh and play, that cares, that enjoys. And appreciate that you have that capacity And without forcing, just allowing it to come out more and more for yourself and everybody else. May all connect with the goodness right inside, the Buddha nature right inside. May all share their love well. May all know the highest happiness and freedom. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere and this amazing planet that we share. Okay, thank you very much. Have a good week. See you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.